Well, big day today. We're going to finish the book of Exodus. Yeah, I know. Over two years according to my daughter. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be the last chapter of Exodus today. Uh, we're going to we're going to do the whole chapter forty there, um, and uh, as we kind of tie up um, our time in in Exodus. Um, in uh, next week, of course, then uh, we'll we'll have a, a guest with us, um, and then in uh, a couple weeks we've got the baptism service, and uh, and then. Three weeks, uh, we're going to start a new journey, new book, um, book of Hebrews. So if you want to be um, preparing for that, reading ahead, getting prepared, I'll give you that opportunity. Um, one of the reasons that uh, Hebrews just um, was seemed like a good, good place to go, aside from the fact that it uh, just seemed like everywhere I turned, God was, seemed to be pointing that direction. Um, was that as we have gone through all the all that's going on in the construction of the tabernacle and and all that here in Exodus, um, Hebrews brings that up again and then frames it all in the light of the coming of Jesus and and tells us what it all really means. All this stuff we're learning in Exodus really was about this uh, and the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and so we're gonna we're gonna that's where we'll be going in about three weeks there, and so you can prepare yourself for that. And I'm sure that's gonna be more than just a couple weeks worth of messages. We're gonna start in another journey there. There's a lot of good stuff in Hebrews, and so get ready for that. Well, we're gonna be here in Exodus 40, um, verse one. And uh, let me just ask the Lord to direct our steps here. Father, we're thankful for your word, thankful for how your word reveals you to us, and for how your word works together to point us to our Savior, to point us towards forgiveness, to point us towards eternal life, to point us towards uh, a new family that we belong to. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and understanding today as we turn to your word, that you would reveal yourself to us once again, and Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be a fertile place for the seed of your word to be sown, Lord, that it would produce in us um, faith in you, uh, surrender to you, um, Christ-likeness and the hope of eternal life. And Lord, we, we just thank you for, for all that you continue to bring to light to us through your word, to, to give us a greater understanding, not only of, of who you are, but also what you've done for us. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect a tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So just, uh, if you haven't been following along or, or have missed a week or two here, um, we had the Lord give instructions on, the constr- on how the tabernacle was to be built, the place where God was going to make his presence known among his people daily. Um, 
and uh, so he gave out the instructions for how it was to be built. Then he called those who would build it, and they built it. They put it. They assembled it. So now, now are all the parts were were ready to go there, and now we get to the place where they're gonna uh, erect the tabernacle and consecrate it to the Lord. So verse two or verse three, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. These are all things that have been previously uh, spoken of and the significance of them. Verse 5, And you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Uh, You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. So in other words, uh, God says you've got, you've got all your parts and pieces, all the things that, that I told you to build, to construct for the tabernacle, they're, they're ready to go. And I want you to, to put them together. And, he, and so that's... Uh, uh, the the go-ahead is given there. The green light is given. Verse 9, Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So, so the next thing, next phase of this is everything is to be erected and put in place in the tabernacle. And then the next thing that happens is they consecrate it all to God. In other words, they set it apart. God calls them to set this apart as holy, to set it apart as for him. So that, so that every part of the tabernacle, including Aaron and his sons who will be serving as priests, that every, all, all, all parts of involved here are, are, are cleansed and, and, and stamped as belonging solely for the purpose of God. In fact, if you remember previously when we even looked at how the, the oil for anointing was to be made and, and the, there were certain guidelines with it and restrictions because this, this oil was to be consecrated itself, to be set apart in and of itself. Um, so the very oil that's being used here to anoint in the tabernacle and to, to, to set apart the parts of the tabernacle and to set apart Aaron and his sons as priests, uh, even that 
was in, in, in holy and set apart for God. It, it wasn't to be used for other things. And so as they dedicate all of it to God. Verse uh, 16, this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. And this is uh, in verse 16 through 33 here. It's, it it kind of walks through and, and just says, okay, the first part of this was God said to do this, and then here we have, and this is kind of in Exodus fashion. God said do this, Moses did this. And it's just kind of uh, showing the faithfulness of Moses here in, in uh, what God has called him to. And so Moses did what the Lord commanded him to do. Verse 17, in the first month of the, se- in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And, um, and he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the tabernacle on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the uh, the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned the fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle. And he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. You see there several times this little phrase, uh, as the Lord commanded Moses, uh, all through there. And then at the very end of that, so Moses finished the work. Uh, A nod to the faithfulness of Moses in doing what he was called to do that he finished well here in what God gave him to do. And um, uh, as we, there towards the end of that, it mentions uh, the water for washing, which kind of leads us into this, uh, this just ties back in with the anointing that, that as the priests, um, God commanded there that the priests were to be washed and then anointed. Uh, a symbolism of, of both the cleansing necessary to come before God and serve God um, and, and to be mediators between God and, and his people. That, that they were not just to, to come in, 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 in their own sin, uh, but rather to be set apart 
and to operate differently in their role than, than the other roles that were going to happen in the life of Israel. And so they were to be cleansed, they were, and then they were to be consecrated, set apart to God. And this was something that happened regularly. Now if you missed, uh, as we read through there, if you have some question marks about, wait, what is that about? What is that about the table and the lampstand and all that? We, we, we covered that some time ago, and uh, I would encourage you to both look back here in Exodus to find that. Read it, and then uh, the messages are also online, so you can go back and kind of do do some homework there to kind of brush up on some of that. But I won't recap all of that here. Um, but rather, I want to want to get to these uh, last few verses here in Exodus forty. Uh, what I find really just kind of uh, beautiful about the way Exodus concludes is uh, if 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 you've ever read a good book, the one that comes to my mind uh, is The Hobbit. And you get to the last paragraph, and it's just like, ah, like that's just like the perfect little knot to tie it all together. Like it just concludes, and it's like brings to light the heart of what's going on, and uh, and just 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 lets you kind of settle there and enjoy it. And I and I think Exodus forty just does that. Um, if and we're going to talk in a minute about the way that Exodus opens. Exodus opens with, with sorrow, um, with, with pleading with God. And it closes with hope and the presence of God. Let's look at Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's what this was all moving toward, was God making his dwelling among his people. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from uh, over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the houses of Israel throughout all their journeys. In Exodus chapter 6, turn back there with me, chapter 6, verse 2. God makes a promise to his people. This is before um, they've been rescued. He's sending Moses to the people uh, to communicate with them and then, uh, and then obviously with Pharaoh. And, um, and God sends through Moses a promise to his people. So Exodus 6 verse 2. So God uh, spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord... I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which uh, they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. 
and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. The promise that God gives to his people in Exodus chapter 6. And all of Exodus then, we see that moving then towards what we see in the very end of chapter 40, which is, that God had fulfilled his promise and was still in the midst of fulfilling that promise. See that, that very last line that, that um, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The story is still ongoing. God's plan for his people is still unfolding. Uh, But God has been faithful to fulfill his promises along the way and is still working them out here at this point of history. Exodus is an account of Yahweh's grace, of Yahweh's mercy, of Yahweh's love, of Yahweh's faithfulness, of his holiness, of his righteousness, of his judgment, and of his salvation. When we look at those promises in Exodus chapter 6 and we see God's plan for his people unfold, we see that he did bring them up out of slavery and oppression. Um, He established them as a people that belonged to him and were loved by him. And he made his dwelling among his people and remained with them throughout their journeys. Eventually, as you continue on in the story, leads them to the promised land, although not without some issues along the way. See, God's, God's promise in chapter 6, there, there are four components um, to, to the promise here. One is, uh, the first one is that, um, that he would bring them out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, which has to do with, uh, I think we have the, the list up here, um, to relieve them from their oppression from the Egyptians. Second thing is to deliver them from slavery to the Egyptians. The third one was to redeem them with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. And the fourth one was to take them to be his people and he would be their God, personally known to and by them. Uh, There in in, in Exodus chapter 6, he says, You know, your forefathers, they knew me as God Almighty. But you, you will know me by my name, Yahweh. That's an invitation to be known by God and to know him. These promises were were for Israel in that particular time, in that particular place, but it was also a foreshadowing of a greater salvation. God saved Israel, he redeemed Israel, he adopted them as his own. And this this continues really throughout the Old Testament. We see a a greater salvation being spoken of, a, a greater redemption being spoken of, 
a greater adoption being spoken of and pointed to throughout the Old Testament. And then as the New Testament opens, we see God's plan, his greater salvation, his greater redemption, his greater adoption come to light in Jesus Christ. As Jesus, Jesus began his ministry, um, there in Luke chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry uh, of calling people to God through repentance and faith in him. And, um, and he reveals God's promise of salvation and, and also reveals that he is the one that, that God is bringing salvation through. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So nothing new was worthy there yet um, that Jesus was in the synagogue because that was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There are a lot of ways in which what Jesus reads from Isaiah Uh, and proclaims as now being fulfilled in him that echo God's promises all the way back in Exodus chapter 6. That that no longer are we talking about slavery from from the Egyptians, uh, slavery to the Egyptians and freedom from that oppression, but we're talking about something far deeper, far more oppressive, uh, far far more imprisoning uh, than 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 other people and what they can do to us. And, and a salvation far greater than just escaping the physical difficulties and the mental difficulties that are temporal here on earth. Verse 20, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus proclaims, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives. I have come to give recovery of sight to the blind. I have come to set at liberty those who are oppressed. With me comes the year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus proclaims as he stands up and reads in this synagogue. So while it may have been like sort of any other day that Jesus comes to the synagogue, it was certainly not like every other day in the synagogue when Jesus makes this proclamation. Jesus reveals a greater salvation than the one in Exodus. And this salvation is for all people, not just Israel. Paul lays out God's promise, uh, the Apostle Paul Um, in Romans, of this greater salvation, this greater redemption, this greater adoption. So let's look at that. Romans chapter 8. Turn there with me if you would. 
I, actually, you know what? I decided, because uh, I, I thought it's a long passage, and I really like the way the New Living Translation laid it out for us. So I've got it up here, so it might be different if you don't have a New Living Translation. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied in us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even... Though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Paul talks about freedom from condemnation. He talks about freedom from sin. He talks about freedom uh, from slavery to sin. See, the things that happen in Exodus... They, they, they gave us a wonderful earthly representation of something that was spiritually and profoundly true. And that is that far worse than slavery to another human being or another government is being slaves to sin and the enemy of God. Far worse than, than the, the, the oppression that comes from uh, someone else is the oppression that comes from the guilt and the shame and the punishment, the judgment that comes with being in a place of sin before a holy and righteous God. Paul, Paul says, 
we can't, in our sinful nature, apart from the intervention of God through Jesus Christ, we can't please God. We, we can't please God. We can't try hard enough. We can't do enough stuff. Uh, we, can't, we can't do the power of positive thinking enough. Right? We, we can't do enough stuff to please God. It's just not a possibility for us. Apart from Christ. But through Christ, scriptures say, all things are possible. Which means exactly that all things that God calls us to are possible in Christ. Freedom from that kind of slavery, freedom from from the, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, are possible through Christ. Walking in freedom and pleasing God are possible in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, have you received Christ by faith? If you have, then you've also been set free. You're no longer under the condemnation of God, the judgment of God against your sin, because Christ took that upon himself at the cross, and you have received that forgiveness through him. And sin's oppressive control over you, you've been set free from that. Now, you may not have learned how to walk in the freedom yet, but you've been set free. It's like the cell door has been swung open. Um, Now, your journey with Christ is learning how to walk outside the cell door. In the freedom of Christ. In the fullness of that. Jesus said I came to give life. Abundant life. I have another question for maybe some of you. And that is if you haven't received Christ by faith. Are you still controlled by your sinful nature that Paul talks about? And sometimes we don't think. Well we rarely think of it that way. Um. Though when we, um, you may be sitting and, and realizing that you've been resisting Christ. He's been appealing to you. God's been giving you this opportunity over and over and over to turn from sin, to turn from a, really a self-centered way of living and to give your life to Christ and receive his forgiveness, receive the hope of eternal life, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's been inviting you to that and you've been resisting that then that is what Paul is talking about when he says operating out of the sinful nature. That you are still in what the Bible calls the sinful flesh. And if that's the case, then Romans really reveals a lot. It says you're not in a spot where you can please God. Now that doesn't mean you're a horrible human being from a human perspective. You might be amazing. Um. But from a heavenly perspective, you are not going to be allowed entrance into the kingdom of God and you are not, you have not yet been received as a child of God. That's just the facts according to God's word. But God invites you to change that today. To receive Christ by faith and to begin to walk now fully as a child of God. No longer in the path of God's judgment 
but an heir, an heir with Christ, a child of God, to inherit the eternal reward and, and, uh, of, of heaven and being a part of God's family forever. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God's message to us is to live like the freed children of God that we are. To learn to walk by the power of the Spirit and by faith. Not by fear, not by shame, not by guilt, not by despair. But to leave that behind along with the person that was, uh, was crucified. Along with, with that old person of ours that has now become uh, a dead and risen again new life in Christ. If you have been resisting Christ, I want to invite you to receive him today. Ask him for his forgiveness. Let him know that you want to hand control of your life over to him. He's a good shepherd. There is no better person to be in control of your life than the one who created you. He's a good shepherd. You know, uh, yesterday um, I had the the honor of um, helping to to conduct a funeral for uh, Linda Northington uh, Shuffelmeyer, and um, it it was uh, as hard as the whole circumstance is. It was a beautiful funeral um, that pointed to the hope that comes through Christ. Um, that we're not a people who remain in despair and hopelessness because we have the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ. She was only 36 years old, and it reminds us, those kinds of things remind us, we have no guarantee of tomorrow. That's just, and I don't say that to, as a threat of, to, to cause fear or, or something like that. It's just, the rea- that's reality. We just don't know. And death and, and tragedy are not a respecter of persons. Uh, it, it, it touches uh, whomever it will, as God allows it. And, and I think it's uh, moments like that that just remind us that when we have opportunity to respond to God's call today, then today is the day that we respond to God's call. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when we kind of get a few things together, but today. And so I want to encourage you, church, today is a day that if you haven't really learned how to walk in freedom from the guilt of your past that Christ has forgiven you from, today is a day where you hand that over to him and you begin to learn what it means to walk in that freedom. If you haven't really learned how to, you've you've come to Christ and you said, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord, but you really wrestled with the Lord part, giving him the full authority over your life and submitting to him, today is the day that happens. If you haven't given your life to Christ, regardless of your age, maybe you've come to church for the past 50 years but never really truly given your life to Christ, today is the day. Maybe uh, you're a kid and you've been coming to church too, but now you're starting to figure it out. God's showing you today is a day where you start to follow him. Don't let the sun go down, church, on following him and doing what he calls you to do.
Let's, uh, let's be like Moses in that regard. Let's finish what God called us to do. And be faithful with that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, this account of redemption and salvation that we have in Exodus, that it just gives us such a vivid picture of how deeply you love every one of us, how deeply you love humanity that you created in your image, that you would send your son to die in our place, to bring us out of slavery to sin, to bring us out of the path of your judgment, Lord, that there would be a Passover for us of your judgment, that we would become children of God through Christ Jesus. God, I pray for every person here that you would help us to learn how to walk in the freedom of, uh, of being a child of God, in the hopefulness of being a child of God, um, in the joy of being your child, knowing that you are the one who watches over us, you are the one who provides for us, you are the one who will see us safely home to our eternal home. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness, for your mercy, for your grace. We thank you for your judgment too, that you are righteous and holy and that you have redeemed us and saved us. We give you the glory today in Jesus' name, amen.